Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Be Your Own Muse podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Skinner. I am a copywriter turned creativity expander and also hypnotist. Yeah, that is a new um, feather in my cap. Um, I have always been fascinated with hypnosis. I had a very terrible personal experience with it at first. Um, I tried it out in college because I was very, very depressed, um, and I feel like it made everything worse. But now, on the other side of that, I'm very passionate about not giving that experience to anybody else ever again. Um, But that's something that I do now for people with uh, creative blocks or who would like to just pick on a new identity. Uh, Fun fact, hypnosis bypasses the critical faculty, which is that part of your brain that filters out reality that doesn't deem relevant in that present moment. So um, if you are subconsciously, like many of us are, filtering out any evidence that you are, in fact, a talented artist, in fact, a effective coach, a great teacher, a great leader, your your mind will uh, will filter that out because it just doesn't deem it relevant with your conscious beliefs. If you consciously believe you're not good enough, your critical faculty just separates that out. Um, and hypnosis bypasses that because you're very relaxed, you're in a conscious theta state, um, and you it's just it's just such a, a beautiful process. Um, fun fact, another fun fact, between the ages of zero and seven, we are complete open sponges, um, meaning everything that you heard between the ages of zero and seven um, are is taken as truth. So whatever you heard anybody say between the ages of zero and seven, you didn't question it. You didn't say, well, let me pull up my sources. Like, you know, it was taken as truth. And the beautiful thing about hypnosis is that it replicates that process. It kind of gets you back into that open childlike state. Um, and I know what you might be thinking, um, like, well, that sounds creepy as hell. Like, and I totally, absolutely 1000% agree, which is why I do custom hypnosis for clients. Um, and I'm very, very conscious in my experience as a copywriter and um, a psychology geek and just like an all around good human who wants to do good in the world. Um, I've made like very, I'm very, very conscious about using the client's language. Um, so language that you subconsciously agree with. And if you're a rebel like me and you feel like you just reject any suggestions that are given to you, because I'm definitely like that. So I keep that in mind when I make my hypnoses. Um, Anyway, so that's me. I'm a lover of all things mindset, entrepreneurship, art, and self-expression. I'm really passionate about bringing to this podcast um, mindset and confidence tips for artists. I mean, I feel like who's supporting the minds of artists these days? Who's supporting their souls? I mean, I feel like that's not done enough. Although I will say that yesterday um, I did go to a, um, an, like a, a tiny backyard concert and... I was just so relieved to find this community here in Vegas of artists who were interested in bringing conscious awareness to the world. So I saw a lot of art, there was a lot of uh, music and just people who really had a light to shine and they wanted everyone to succeed. And um, man, like I spent so much money there yesterday because I just wanted to support every single artist. Um, I got some like Uh, I got some earrings. I got a lot of cacao because they were making cacao by hand and just, it was amazing. Anyway, I definitely digress. Um, This episode is very, very, very good and very near and dear to my heart. Um, If you haven't figured it out already, the person I'm interviewing in this podcast is Emily Herr. That's my sister-in-law. That's my husband, Evan's sister. Um, And she is a full-time mural artist. Um, Yeah, so she tattoos the city of Richmond, Virginia, which I think is super, super, super cool. Um, 
to say the least. I, a little bit of personal background before we dive into the story. Um, I always was told to believe that to make money and to make a living and to like have a career, um, you know, between the ages of zero and seven, of course, and beyond that, I was cause constantly reinforced in my life that you had to do things that you didn't want to do in order to make money. Um, so both of my f- parents, um, they grew up in poverty um, and my dad joined the military and worked really, really, really hard to the point where currently his personal health is suffering. Um, my dad worked really, really hard to, um, to, to get us things that he didn't have as a kid. Um, you know, to, 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 to bump us up in, in the wealth arena. And I'm really, really grateful for that um, because I was able to grow up living comfortably, but it meant that I was raised subconsciously with this mentality that you must do things that you don't want to do and you must sacrifice in order to live the life that you want to live. Um, so then, of course, I meet Evan. We get married, right? And I meet, of course, his sister that way. And through Emily, she just said, she didn't, you know, teach me anything. Like she didn't, she didn't preach anything to me. Um, you know, she didn't sit me down and say, look, Katie, you're wrong. But just by her being an example um, of somebody who follows what they want to do um, and makes money doing it and um, has that money, like takes care of that money consciously. Um, I've met a lot of other artists who kind of treat their businesses like an ATM, meaning they want money for beer or whatever, so they'll sell a couple paintings or, you know, they just kind of like work as they want money. Um, or they are just like struggling artists, starving artists, and they feel like there's just never, never, never enough. Um, and so seeing Emily bringing this balanced, beautiful uh, approach to following and pursuing her passions. And you'll hear pretty soon, she's never had a quote unquote real job. Like she's never worked in food service or uh, retail like many of us have. I mean, I know for me, I definitely did my time bouncing between job and job. Uh, Very multi-passionate, if you want to call it that. (laughs) By that, I mean, I was working at a tanning salon and I worked at a retail and I worked at a, at a coffee and like I was a bartender, like I just did all the things. And so for me, unlearning that hard work equals money, it's not necessarily true. And that doesn't mean that Emily doesn't work hard. You'll, you'll really understand um, her perspective. And I'm interested currently in bringing her back. And we were talking about this the other day, bringing her back for an episode about money. Um, I had envisioned it Two freelancers talk money um, where she has a lot of grounded, practical advice on money. Of course, she is not a fiduciary, so please don't sue us. Um, but sharing her perspective, I think was, would be very helpful to a lot of people, um, and kind of how she does it and the things that she's seen. Um, and for me, I definitely have more of a, a mindset perspective around money, uh, like more of a, a woo woo esoteric, um, energetic perspective of money, if you will. Um, meaning like these are the kind of perspectives that help me to stop being so afraid of money and stop demonizing it. Um, so if anybody brought up the word saving budget, whatever, like I would just freak out. Um, yeah, I had a, I have a very wounded history, uh, with money and, um, <laughs> I'm very interested in, in, um, I've, I've been very interested in overcoming that. And I think 2018 was the year that I really dove into my money mindset because that was the year that I started my business. And I realized like, Hey, if I'm demonizing money, how do I expect to make any, um, and if it's so easy, come easy, go, which was another thing for me, um, I'm very good at attracting money, but then what do I do with it afterwards? And just kind of seeing Emily setting an example for me in my life as somebody who just has like a calm, rational approach to money. Like it is not good or evil. It, it just is. It's, it's, 
it's the things you do with money I'm interested in having her back. So if that's something you're interested in, uh, please let me know. I would, uh, if there's any questions that you'd particularly want to hear. Otherwise, um, we're just going to get started into this interview. I think it's just absolutely lovely. Um, we talk a lot about how she um, made her own dream job, right? Like, so if she's never had a job job, but what she does now is a job. Um, how can you go from treating your business like an ATM machine, right? Like just this, this thing that you kind of do, um, to make money to like in a, a real, a real job, like something that you can feel proud of. And I know that that was a really big struggle for me and that's something I'm still working on. Um, so you'll, you'll, we'll, 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 we'll get into it. Um, so, uh, thank you so much for being here and I can't wait. Did you hear that? <laughs> okay. So. Don't be sneaky. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Emily, hello. Full transparency. This meeting is being recorded. Um, so what, I feel like I know so much about you, but there's so much there. What, how did the, how did the, how did the muraling start? Like really, how did the professional muraling begin? I started painting murals in high school and I thought that I was going to uh, work towards being an illustrator but um, what I really was fascinated about with illustration was the the idea of an image accompanying something else so like image and text is this you know eternally fascinating combination and the idea of an image accompanying you know a book or a magazine article or like thinking about um narrative and like narrative in the image all of that was really interesting to me and you and trying to put images in weird spaces fascinated me so thinking about like um puzzle objects that like you move and flip and turn and like it creates an image like uh, picture a Rubik's cube with pieces of an image that you then solve the Rubik's cube and you get the answer and it Ta-da. gets images. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you- I thought that was cool or um, arranging uh, very, very long horizontal images that all told like this wordless narrative. So thinking about storytelling um, within an image. So like making, instead of doing something that's like an eight and a half by 11 drawing, <laughs> and then maybe putting it in and taking out of a sketchbook and putting it in a frame. Um, I was trying to like put images in all kinds of different places. Um, and thinking about scale too, um, bringing images up to this really large size changes how they feel and what they do when you look at them. Um, and so I asked if I could paint a mural in my bedroom. Mm -hmm. Um, and you've seen that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Is it, which one is it? Is it, which one it's is the it? one there's a there's a hand reaching a, a giant giant hand reaching out and a little tiny town in the middle of it and a waterfall falling off the side of the hand okay. and behind the whole thing is all these like very colorful stripes okay i've seen it it's beautiful i know there's multiple um where okay so what was that was the first okay that was my next question what was the first meal you ever painted how did that i'm, I'm just super curious on like how did you turn that curiosity of images being bigger and in curious places to tell a story, um, you know, kind of leaving the, the path of being an illustrator into making that 
a career that just seemed to grow. Like I, I've seen, I mean, I've seen your work and from what I've heard, your career has just expanded and nothing was really laid out for you. Like right. most, like my, myself, and I know many people who listen to this podcast have a path. Like this is the career path that you're, you're going to become a doctor. You're going to become a lawyer. You're going to become a psychologist, whatever. Sure. So I'm curious how that mural began your career. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a great point. Cause like that was, that was a big part of my questioning this whole decision for a long time of like, what am I even trying for here? Like I didn't even have a very clear end goal. Um, and what happened was it just like built on itself sort of in these recursive loops of like, okay, I'm painting this mural in my bedroom in high school, but then I go to VCU for illustration and I'm not totally focused on mural painting at all. I just like, this is something in my range of interests. And then towards the end of that college experience, I started focusing on them again. Like they came back, they weren't like, my main focus the entire time and I was just driving straight forward in a line towards it. Um, I was exploring all of these different things and like murals were the right answer to a lot of situations or like the most interesting option for a lot of projects. Um, and as they kept coming up again and again, um, or as I kept finding opportunities to sort of insert them into a school project or um, make a little bit of money by painting a big sign, uh, it seemed like, okay, maybe I should consider this as a real option for a career. And like, is there anybody else doing this? And I started asking more practical questions about mural painting. Um, so like, yeah, towards the end of college, I, I literally took a, like, took a long walk and tried to decide, like, do I want to do, um, illustration and try and be either working for another business or freelance to get illustration work or do I want to make something out of mural painting and I like I was very um, analytical about it and like did kind of pros and cons list and thought about all the aspects of like um, you know illustration is a very established field there are so many people that are into it that like it's a lot easier to learn about. There are tutorials online, there's lots of people that are my peers and also could be my mentors. Um, there's people to get advice from and kind of kvetch with and uh, there's all of that. But that means it's also a really, really saturated industry. So it's really hard to do, like to exceed um, and excel in that field. While mural painting is like, you get to, move around all the time, you get to work outside, you get to work in different areas, um, you get to see different settings. Um, it's still something that is very client focused in the same way that illustration, you're working with somebody else instead of originating the idea most of the time. Um, so, uh, but mural painting is like basically a made up job. I still call it a made up job. There is yeah. gained popularity hugely, which is, I'm really lucky for. But when I graduated, there was like, um, I would count maybe like five people in Richmond who were painting murals professionally on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And um, like, maybe there was more, but how many people, you know, depends on how many people you can find to talk to. So mm -hmm. um, 
I really had to hunt around to try and see if anybody was doing like the version of it that I imagined. There was people kind of coming from the graffiti world that wanted to, um, you know, get these big splashy exterior walls uh, using spray paint, kind of like fly by the seat of their pants. Mm -hmm. um, and then there was other people doing interior, more decorative walls that were like um, faux finishing or children's bedrooms or like, uh, oh, look in my kitchen, there's a window to an Italian garden. Yeah. <laughs> um, that kind of thing. And neither of those really felt right to me. I wanted to do um, like, I guess accent walls might have been the closest thing, but really I wanted to illustrate a house. Like I wanted to take that mindset of like learning about the stories going on in a space and mm -hmm. translating that into an image that then accompanies the space. Um, mm -hmm. And I didn't see anybody <laughs> doing yeah. anything like that. So I have so, okay, so so many questions about all that. <laughs> That's so good. First of all, we love fake jobs on this podcast. We love them. Uh, second of all, so many questions about your decision-making process and kind of coming into your own. Um, but also I think one time you said, I saw you, I don't remember what you said exactly, but you were giving a talk about murals and how they're so great and your specific style and how you will not just like slap a window on a kitchen or whatever. Um, you said that you, I don't remember exactly, but I, I downloaded this idea from you of what you always say, embrace your space. So you, you put something curious and interesting in a place that normally people wouldn't really pay attention to. And I brought that idea to a tattoo artist once because as everybody knows, love tattoos. I love the concept of putting art on a thing that normally just like, oh, that's my elbow, whatever. But now it's like, oh, now it's cool. Um, and I tried to explain that concept that you embody in your work to a tattoo artist and how I was not loving the idea of like, oh, just put a sticker, I don't know, here. Like, <laughs> put, put something right. like on my arm because it's cool. So I think something that you work with and I highly recommend to everybody to look and I'll put it in the show notes of all of Emily's work and just see how it's different and see how it's unique and see how it like plays with the space. So Thanks. before we get into that, um, you talked about that walk that you went on and how you kind of logically aired things out. What was that decision-making process like? I know that you did your research and you ultimately decided on the one that was less, the path that was less beaten. Um, I'm curious a little bit more about that decision-making process. How did you ultimately decide? Yeah, I mean, I really tried to envision like what my, what my day-to-day -day would look like in each path. Like I tried to kind of embody that future a little bit for a moment thinking about like you know what is my what is my day going to look like if I have um a series of illustration jobs and that is what I'm focused on and who am I going to talk to and who is going to be able to relate to me and like who am I going to get to work with and who am I going to be challenged by um and like what kinds of things will I get to work on project wise and subject wise um, like really just imagining as much as I could the different components of what that sort of like future would look like, I guess. And, you know, considering how much money is in that field and how much, um, like notoriety is involved and, um, what else did I think about? I was really concerned about like the physical activity and the, um, like you think about, Ooh, I'm going to quit my desk job and do art. But a lot of art is a desk job. Yeah. <laughs> there are yeah. so many people who I, who I 
do still consider my peers that did go into illustration that, um, you know, they are at a desk all day and a lot of their consideration is like, what is a good physical routine for me to have outside of my work in order to like get my body moving around. And so I, I counted it as a huge benefit that my work would require me to have a fair amount of physical activity. Yeah, um, that's, you mentioned at one point, um, like creating your perfect job. So you're like, okay, if nobody is like my boss telling me where to go or what to be, like you essentially kind of go with the flow. Um, what I've said before on this podcast before is like, I'm an internet cowboy. Like I just go wherever I want. And for you, I feel like you're just kind of the Richmond art mural cowboy. Like you, you go where you want to go and you've turned down jobs that you don't want to turn down, but you talked about making your perfect job. So uh, can you expand a little bit more on making the perfect job? Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's really important to um, conceptualize like what is a good job and why you think it's a good job. And then, create that for yourself whether whether you are self-employed or whether you can like negotiate some part of your employment so like um that that concept of embrace your space is is really important and keeps coming up as like a really guiding factor of like be real about what your space is like what does space stand in here for is it your your day and how your day is shaped is it your body and how like your body is involved in your work is it your um your house and where you're living and the location that you spend a lot of your time in um like take a lot of ownership over all of those things and like realize that you have a lot of control so so thinking about what a good job is like again quitting your quitting your desk job and becoming an artist is a lot of people how they frame it and like there's always this little voice that speaks to you that's like, well, you could just give this up and like go get an office job. Maybe that would be better. Maybe that would be a better job. Like um, I have, you know, talked to uh, friends or family about like, um, you know, what I'm doing or what my friends are doing and sometimes have referred to like, oh, well, they've gotten and gone and gotten like, you know, a grown up job, yeah. you know, when somebody gets employed with a salary and like benefits and like okay so they went and got like a good job and and I'm always trying to fight against the idea of like being a professional artist being some kind of like oddball off the wall like you have to settle for a lot of things in order to like pursue what you love and I feel so strongly that like you can prioritize both like your well-being and your like creative output so like what does having a good job mean like it means having good health insurance it means having vacation days it means having um control over what work you do um it means working in places that you want to be in um maybe it means having a gym membership maybe it means uh like i don't know what do you like what have you been tempted by if you think about like a good job yeah, I think a lot of that is one thing that you touched on was like, for me, it's like having a good boss. Like I've, I've had a lot of jobs where the boss just is a jerk, <laughs> like just no way around it. They're just a jerk. Um, yeah. And your boss is always going to take a lot of superiority, like higher ranking in your head. If you have a boss, like their opinion matters more than yours in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so they end up taking a lot of space over your brain. And so I had to realize after deconditioning, having 
shitty jobs into having the job now that I'm responsible for um, is that who's the boss in your head? Like who, who's in your head and who's talking to you in your head? So um, I've had to fire quote unquote fire my boss so many times in my own head because I'm like, I don't like you. You're too over demanding. You're overworking me. And when you brought up the idea of like making a job that you like, I was like, oh yeah, this job I have right now. I love the work. Cause I mean, I'm talking about my work now. I love my work, but like, I don't like the way my boss talks to me. I don't like the hours <laughs> and I just don't really feel like I'm getting anywhere. Like there's no career growth here, but then I'm like, wait, I'm my boss. So. Right. Uh, totally. I mean like, and like acknowledging that and being like, okay, so what does it mean to be a good boss to myself? Like, and, and I've had to learn, it has taken me so long to learn that like, I have to give myself really specific time off and I have to yeah. give myself like, everybody says that, right? Like, oh, you have to make sure you like give yourself a break or whatever. Yeah. And that is so antithetical to like the hustle culture of like, you have to keep moving, you have to keep doing it. And like, to be realistic, that is what I did. Like for, for years, it just was, I am constantly working. I work all the time. That's what I do. Yeah. Um, and, and that has put, you know, that's put me where I am now, where I get to say, like, I'm not looking at email even once for this entire three-day weekend, or yeah. um, I am, like, gonna take a month off, and then two months later, take another month off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, a lot of that can be money stuff, like, can I afford to do that? Um, and that just comes with, like, structuring your life and your finances, and, like, oh, yeah it's very specific to every job and career and industry and everything, but like, you know, setting your priorities up and being like, is it more important to me to have like, um, fancy meals and cocktails, or is it more important to me to like buy myself a really good health plan? Like, mm -hmm. and, and being realistic with yourself about what you actually will have a good life with, you know, maybe like the answer isn't clear cut. Um, but trying to make your own voice like the loudest one in that conversation rather than the imaginary people saying like oh well you could quit and get like a good job oh yeah <laughs> and I mean for me a, a personally and I will I will vouch for that that a big lesson I learned in 2018 it, it kind of collides with what you're talking about like being the job that you want to have like you know whatever yeah, yeah. Having an office job is not necessarily better because I know I saw in DC that there are a lot of places where hiring writers, um, like you could get this cushy writing job like downtown or something like that. Um, and I just kind of, it, it's, it's kind of like this delegating of like taking care of yourself. And there's really no shade here to nine to fivers or anybody who seeks mm -hmm. career. It's more so the, the, sh the shadow side of entrepreneurship. Like when everybody quits their job and chases their dreams or what have you. And then they find themselves yeah. like, Oh, this is gritty. <laughs> gritty is the right word for yeah, it. This yeah. is, this it's, is... it's hard, but everything can be hard, but it is, it's gritty in a way that like, yeah. it's, I, you know, it's hard because imagining I'm talking with this comparison of like the office job to the, to the like professional artist job. And I've never had an office job. I've never had, um, they suck. like, I've been doing this since I graduated college and I was very lucky to not have um, like an hourly job in college. I did like commissioned work or odd jobs here and there, but like, this is my job. This has been my job the whole time. Um, and so on the one hand, I've avoided like some terrible experiences that, that people talk about and share, but on the other hand, I don't have a good, I never had a good base structure for like 
how jobs logistically are supposed to work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm crafting that from ground zero, um, which can be kind of cool. Um, but it can also mean that like, I don't know. Yeah. There's just a lot of stuff I don't know. So one thing that I've observed, if I may, um, from you and Evan, you guys are both very good. My brother, your husband. My brother. Your your brother, my husband. My brother, your husband. Yes. From, (laughs) yes. Um, Is that you guys, okay, so one time, to preface this, I remember one time, it was your birthday, and we all went around and said our favorite thing about Emily. Crucial, important uh, tradition. And my favorite thing about Emily is that you, I didn't, I don't know if I said it right at the time, because I feel like it was the first time I ever said this concept out loud, but it's like, I feel like your standard for living, it's not like it's so high. I mean, it's, it's high, but it's not like, oh, I'm just high maintenance and nobody can talk to me, but your standard of living is so steady. And that's why, and I mean, I talk about this when we talk about the law of attraction or the law of oneness or like all the things that people spend so much money to understand spiritually. I think it's just something that you and Evan just like, no, (laughs) is that when you have this set point, you're like, this is my expectation. Mm -hmm. Like reality bends to meet it. And I've (laughs) I've explained this to Evan and he's like, yeah. But are for, you talking about like are you talking about like our baseline of like needs? Is your like expectation for how life gets to treat you. Me, okay, so once so what back to what I was saying before about how um about you you know you've never had an office job, so you might not know kind of what you're talking about. But what I will say that you and Evan do so well is you're able to look at something objectively and and kind of look at it and like look at it from different angles without being in it. So it's not that you're like, oh, let them eat cake, these poor people uh, with their dumb office jobs and I'm so much better. Like that is not it at all. It's no. It's so that like you both, neither one of you have worked a stupid job that you hated ever. Um, <laughs> and, but at the same time, like you are, you do both are able to, I mean, let's focus on you for now. Um, <laughs> able to. Yeah. When are you going to bring Evan on the podcast? Oh, we have so many plans that we keep delaying every, every, we used to have a tradition that every Sunday we would go get coffee. And then when we're, when we're both caffeine hype, we would like just talk about the secrets of the universe and politics. And yeah. like, we be talking so fast that Evan was like, let's podcast this. this. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 And then it never happened. But, <laughs> I mean, it's fine. Uh, so that's just what, I, what I'll add is that I believe and I know that you have, you have an, you're able to see things objectively without getting in it. Um, and that's something that I've learned a lot from you and Evan is to, uh, because for me, one of my values growing up was very much like be in the trenches with people and like get in there and like volunteer and get your hands dirty and what have you that's something my parents taught me is like don't just talk about it but be in there and be in it however the shadow side of that is very much like I have to like sacrifice myself constantly to learn something whereas I feel like you have you were able to look at something objectively like an office job and say hmm okay no benefits and consequences yeah I can see that I really feel like I've I've given I've truly given a lot of thought to like would I thrive more in an office job? Because like, 
I did really well in school specifically. Yeah. Like I am a good student. I work very well within a system. I work well with authority. I work well with deadlines. Like all of that makes a lot of sense to me. It's obviously, I mean, how, you know, anybody in the general range of middle-class America is like brought up going to school for 12 years plus and like, yeah. and it, it, it's, some people really doesn't, it doesn't work for them. For me, it really, like, it worked. So, um, so I wondered, like, if I went and got an office job, like, I'd probably be really comfortable with that, and, and, like, maybe that would be better, but, like, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't decide to do that, and, and I think that's mostly because I wanted the art of it, like, I wanted to make pictures, and the versions of office jobs we get to make pictures are, like, harder to find there's a lot more competition and it didn't seem like I could find my way through that um especially when you know I'm in in the grind of like creating this mural job so it never it never felt like enough of a draw to be like yeah I should just go do that yeah um, yeah so. so what was that decision making process like like did, did you doubt yourself at first or like what did you get a lot of support um, yeah, so yeah, early, early starting my business days, uh, and just to tell, like, your listeners, um, like, my, my job is painting murals full time, I work for myself, uh, I don't have any employees, um, I frequently, uh, have, um, asked somebody to come assist me on a mural, so I pay them for, like, that work on that job, um, and I work with a project manager who, uh, is, um, she's not technically an employee. I think I'm a client of hers would be how I would consider it. Um, and she helps me coordinate, um, my emails and schedule and, uh, interface with clients. Um, so that I can do a lot more of the simple, not simple, but like, you know, the creation stuff. Yeah. Um, and I've been working with her for two years. So that's like the shape of my business now. But when I started out, like coming out of college, um, the whole, like, the whole reason it worked was that, like, A, I did not have any student loans. Mm -hmm. I had a scholarship through my college, which is just, like, I can't say enough about how coming out of art school with student loan debt will cripple you. Yeah. <laughs> um, Destroy your dreams so fast. The second part of it is that I just had extremely low expenses. I kept my expenses as low as fucking possible. Like, only buy groceries, never eat out, buy the Kroger brand, like, um, live with as many people as you need to, pay as little in rent as possible, mm -hmm. um, you know, all of it. Uh, and that allowed me to, like, take a lot of commissions that didn't pay what they should have, or go and just, like, uh creep around somebody else painting on a mural like here and there uh and obviously not get paid for that um yeah <laughs> and be flexible with my schedule and um like a lot of my work in the beginning wasn't mural painting like murals were definitely what I was going for but I was a hundred percent like very flexible with like what I was willing to do so even though I said I am a muralist I paint murals my website was like about doing murals when I talk to people that's what I tell them but like um I would have like maybe one mural a month 
sometimes less. And a lot of it was like, oh, you really consider that a mural? That's kind of a sign or like, that's really like a lettering thing or like um, one of, something I did was go and uh, like repair this falling apart sort of wall. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. <laughs> very, yeah. very open concept of like, what falls into my category right now and and the more work that i got the more i could narrow that category down so um like over time maybe over the course of a year it took me until i was doing like all the things i was doing i would really consider mural painting um and maybe occasionally i would be like yeah i can do this like interesting design thing because um my brother's getting married and i want to do the invitations or like uh um you know, some group that I care about needs a newsletter designed or something. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I would, I, I think by about a year, it was like mostly murals and they weren't necessarily murals I wanted to paint all the time. Sometimes mm -hmm. I thought the idea was dumb or the client was dumb or mm -hmm. they were in um, a place that nobody would ever see or, you know, all kinds of stuff. And then over more time, I've been able to limit that down and limit that down. So now most of the work that I do is projects I'm really excited about. Mm -hmm. um, but it's taken me a pretty long time to get here. So in the meantime, yeah. it's been really important to figure out something about each one of those projects that I could get excited about. Like even if none of it sounded that great at the beginning, you know, you have to pick out the thing that's gonna make it interesting for you. Yeah, um, it sounds like also a detachment from the outcome. Um, because yeah. I mean, I don't know if you felt like you had this like huge expectation of like how sexy and opulent being a mural painter would be. Um, but I know something that's flashed a lot in the art industry as well as in like the personal development industry is wealth and uh, materialism and stuff like that. And I talked about this a lot in my episode about like luxury and poverty trauma and all the things, but, and I talked about like getting accustomed to more than enough because that always just felt so scary to me, like more than enough at the same time similar to your story, when I started my coaching and writing business, I took gigs I didn't want. I yeah. took reduced rates. My brother actually gave me a secret for all you artists. If this resonates, take it. If not, don't. But my brother gave me a secret once I came to him and I was like, hey, I'm struggling in my coaching business. What do I do? He said, take sliding scale, like take, take things you don't want to do, like barter with people, trade. I don't care. Like, but you've got to get work. And, um, I was told from my coach at the time, like never settle, sell these high ticket packages, like never take no for an answer. And, um, so what I learned from that was reduce my expenses. I mean, I was living in DC and I was most of the cool shit I lived when I was living in DC was free. I got from a, I got from a deal I got for free or whatever. So to parallel your story, like it's not as sexy as I think a lot of people are led to believe, um, at first. And oh, yeah. The, the, the freedom that I found was not in like overnight success, which I think is also like a emotional trigger that is used a lot in art is the, the overnight success or the, yeah, the image of like, you know, something going viral or like, uh, or people like the idea of having a fan base or like all of that. It's, it's very tempting and it's, it sometimes feels like the thing that's, pulling you forward like oh this is going to be the picture or the project that I post and everybody's going to flip out and know that I'm like doing really well and like I'm a good artist doing a good job and like for me the way that has turned out is like that's never that's just it's just never how it happens <laughs> like, yeah 
I or feel if it does, it very might. successful, but like, it's not because of that. Even though that has been always kind of in my head of like, ooh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this like crazy internet reaction. It's just not related, it turns out. Like, yeah. it's so Anytime much Anytime I've ever gotten a crazy internet reaction, they're few and far between, but anytime I have like woken up and been like, what the, f-? it's always like, I never feel excitement. It's always like, who are these people? You know, yeah, right. <laughs> and then you yeah. just kind of move on and then you forget about it. And um, even no, it, in the one time it did attract opportunity for me, it actually, the post got taken, I got a post that got actually taken down. Long story on that. But like, there was one post that like, I was like, wait, people are actually now messaging me, asking me to work with me. And that's really exciting. And I'm famous now. But then the post itself got taken down and then the dream ended. And back to hard work, friends. (laughs) Anyway. Right. Yeah. It's also just never the one you think it's going to be. Like, I, part of the reason that I have chosen like these, these large scale, um, single client, like, uh, this frame of artwork is like, I don't know what people like. <laughs> like. I cannot get a fix on that. I don't make prints. I don't make t-shirts. Like I don't do things that I, I, that need to appeal to a lot of people to work because where I really, really succeed is working individually with one person to figure out what they want and how to really like make their space better and more interesting and richer. Um, because like, I have no fucking clue. Like, what appeals to like the masses in this way that boggles my mind constantly. My best two examples are like, okay, I have over 600 posts on Instagram, mostly of like artwork and all the stuff that I post that's like, I'm so excited to show everybody my great art. (laughs) You know, it gets like sometimes a good reaction, sometimes a pretty great reaction, but the things that get the best response are one and two my uh one that i just did of a dog on a garage yeah that's pretty cute (laughs) and that's the most successful one except for a blank wall wait what i posted a picture of a blank wall and it's to date (laughs) gotten the most instagram response of the entire time i've been on the app like (laughs) I don't understand why. So you put, why did you post the blank wall for context? So one of, I post, I've actually posted it twice now because the first time it was just a progress photo. I had primed a wall ready to paint. It was initially a blank, uh, a, a brick wall. And then I primed it white and I posted a picture of that, you know, like blank slate ready to go. And <laughs> at the time, I think it was like, I don't know, uh, maybe let's say I was getting like, a hundred likes or something per post and this got like 500 i was like are you fucking kidding me nuts (laughs) and then more recently um i you know last year in 2020 i wanted to um call attention to the fact that like if you have a blank wall or if you're one of the businesses putting up plywood like there are a lot of people with a lot of messages that they want to share and a lot of artists that can like use that platform please try and connect with um black or indigenous person of color voice that needs to use that platform and so I posted because I knew that that image got like such a huge response I did this huge giant text post and put that blank wall Mm. and like as as predicted like just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people fascinating 
So I'm sure that the text and message of that post was yeah. Part of it, I was going to say so. that sounds like the experimental group, but then you also did the control group, which was just the blank wall with no message, yeah. no message like that. That's fascinating. So what would you? What advice would you give, or what would you say to somebody who's kind of in like the appealing of the masses era? Like they're just kind of trying to like, because I've I've heard different business advice one is like do what you're doing it's like find a few people who will pay you a lot and just work with that versus like just find a lot of people who kind of like you and go yeah yeah (laughs) and what would you focus on the micro payments instead of the micro transactions instead of like the one big payday Yeah. yeah i mean i think that's really two different mindsets of working and i'll tell you i don't really know how to do the other one like i have to I have to acknowledge the fact that my work is is something of a luxury industry like it's yeah. nobody really needs like a mural in their house or on their business it, it becomes like this um yeah it's it's a it's a luxury piece but um in a, in a broad sense we there is a big movement of like yes having public art having you know visually spectacular spaces exterior spaces that like you know the community can can recognize as part of their um area can enjoy is like that's important um but those definitely aren't the people paying me like the biggest bucks so it it all kind of balances out but it definitely depends on like these these individual pieces that are big enough to have like such a payout that I don't need to woo, you know, hundreds of people. I only need 20 to 50 clients a year. Yeah. Um, and that's it. Yeah. Did you find, um, the, do you find any, do you bump up against any like fear or scarcity or nerves when in finding those few people? Um, yeah, I initially, I, was really convinced I was gonna have to do like a lot of advertising and um, a lot of focus a lot on marketing. Uh, Cause a little bit of, uh, I took a few classes in school about like visual marketing and like um, how the advertising world works. And it really is just like the more money you can put into marketing, like the better your business is gonna do. Yeah. <laughs> if, you're, if you're doing a good job. Um, like. Yeti coolers were like, they just put every single penny they had into marketing and now it's an iconic brand. Yeah. Uh, And just for an example, but, um, and so I thought that was really important. Uh, And it turns out like murals are their own form of advertising (laughs) because they are big and visual. (laughs) Yeah. But also like, um, it was so much more about networking. It wasn't about like, uh, put up posters around town. It was like go to meetup events and talk to people about the fact that I pay murals. Mm-hmm. Um, so just kind of a different kind of promotion. But I was, yeah, I was really nervous about like um, about where am I going to find people that want murals? How am I going to convince people to want a mural? How am I going to like uh, tell people, yes, it's okay to let me in your home to paint on your wall? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> So the way I coped with that was set up a lot of structures of like, 
I, my website was so detailed uh, mm -hmm. at the beginning of like, here's how the whole process is going to work. I'm going to answer all the questions you might have up front. Like, let me make this so, so, so easy for you. Just trying to imagine what like problems and questions people would have. Yeah. Um, Your website is a very good example of like great copy, by the way. <laughs> Thanks. I think you do so well to just like invite somebody into like, the process of working like you just do such a great your website is amazing thank you um, so th yeah the, the fact that you have that structure so that you don't feel the need to explain yourself or like i i know what that feels like um to just yeah feel like there's no nowhere where you can be understood but if you just hand people your website and they bother to read it and engage then they'll know so yeah it yeah. is sort of that thing of like there's it's these walls of text a little bit it needs it's I, over time, I've broken it down a lot more, so it's a little simpler and a little more like a starting point where then people can ask me the questions they actually have instead of like reading the 700 questions I made up for them to have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but I think that did help a lot because when at the beginning it's not it's like I don't have this isn't a field where you need like licenses. It's not a field where um, it's just kind of all about your portfolio. So having something that at least shows I've put a lot of thought into this means that somebody that's considering commissioning me at least knows that I'm serious about it. It's not like something I'm going to be frivolous about. Yeah. Um, so, and I think that helped me, you know, have realistic pricing too, because it's something I'm taking seriously. Mm -hmm. What do you say? What do you mean when you say realistic pricing? Well, like, uh, as I'm sure you like can empathize with like it's so hard to ask for the number that like you actually think the job is worth or actually want yeah the job um and like art in general is so hard to price that's always like everybody's kind of entry question of like how do I price my work or from the client side or commission side it's like what like how, how much does this cost how can you tell me like anything about how much a mural costs um so like what i would do is break down each job into all of these little components of like how much does each material piece cost how much time do i think i'll spend on each little tiny part of it like into 10 minute increments like okay 10 minutes here 10 minutes here 10 minutes here this is going to add up to like uh 15 hour and 22 minute job and so I think that this is what I need to charge for that and then you know seven dollars and fifty cents for these materials and yeah then, and just like got really granular with it because I I always assumed that they're going to challenge me on it you know that they were going to say well why does this part cost so much yeah um, and what was interesting is I never got that challenge what I got was just a response of like well I don't want to pay you that much mm -hmm. so it it's it's that transition from being in school to being professional i guess mm -hmm. where a client is not the same thing as a teacher mm -hmm. a teacher is going to look at the work you've done and question everything and be like this is right this isn't right um a client is gonna respond from themselves emotionally or like practically mm -hmm. this is not what i need this is not what i want yeah um and or this is what i need this is what i want you know it doesn't have to be yeah um, yeah so I, I always put together um, a couple of options so that like it would hopefully be easier to start having a conversation about like, well, what do you want this piece to be? How much does it cost? Okay, let me show you some options. 
So I would give people three sketches. Mm-hmm. Um, one is kind of the low end, one is kind of the middle end, and one is kind of the high end, kind of pushing things. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a while, everybody was choosing the high end one, which like kind of means I'm not charging enough, right? Like if that's the one that's pushing it, then oh, maybe I'm not actually pushing it so much. Interesting. Okay. Um, and then eventually I got to the point that they were choosing the middle one or saying like, okay, this is really the amount of money I wanted to spend, but like, here's a couple factors I want to change. And that's the much more like comfortable functional place. Cause it means that like they're, they're not looking at the numbers inputting and saying like, oh, well, this is nothing. Like, this is way under what I expected to spend. <laughs> yeah, because you don't, you don't want that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I mean, like, it's not bad to be affordable. Like, that's something I'm bumping up against now is, like, my prices are in a place where, like, I want to work with individuals, but frequently um, I think the amount that I want to charge is just not practical for, like, somebody to decorate their house with. Mm-hmm. Um, and similarly, like when I'm, the work I'm interested in doing has changed a little bit too. So, um, anyway, yeah, that's, that's a lot. Yeah. What you touched, you touched on a really important business aspect of that. A lot of people run into when they start their own business, they're thinking like a, a student, um, mm-hmm. like when they're writing their landing page or like their website or their Instagram captions, or just kind of showing up with their work in general marketing material or, or, or actual products. Um, they're think they're criticizing it like a teacher would like, Oh, that doesn't make sense. There's a typo there. What about this? What about that? And they're not thinking about their ideal client or like who is reading this and how does it make them feel? Does it make them feel seen? Uh, you know, or is it answering all their questions? Cause I can tell you what you did with your website is you, you got into the mind of your ideal, like your ideal client, who would you want to work with? What questions do they have? And what do you want them to know before yes. they, they approach you and start asking questions? Um, and you answered all the questions so that they felt safe and they were like, okay, this person knows their shit. I'm going to work with them. But um, what I see a lot of people get tripped up on with like uh, aspiring writers, aspiring coaches, aspiring artists, all the, the people is like, they're still thinking like their teachers grading them and giving them an F instead of, are you being of service? Even if it is like a luxury product, which you can argue that coaching is a luxury art uh, project product, God, <laughs> luxury product, um, but you're still able to deliver them an emotional need as well, which is people want to, people want to feel expressed, like to look at your house and feel in alignment with the art in your house is an emotional yeah. need. <laughs> yeah, 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 like that's, it, yeah, it's all about embracing your space, like living, like creating the space that you want, you actually want to be in. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, and that goes back to what you're saying about creating your your dream job. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean that tu- student teacher relationship, like treating your job that way and treating your clients that way is um, it, it's something you have to unlearn because of that same, you know, prioritizing of your own needs and interests in your job, because trying to like guess what your client wants and then shaping your job around that is, is not actually as functional it's unintuitive that this would be true, but like what you need to do is figure out um, more about what you are comfortable with, good at, successful with, like what makes your job good for you and then figure out who the clients are that work with that. Cause like 
assuming that your clients are going to look at every aspect of your whole shit and be like, this is good. This is bad. This is good. This is good. This is bad. You get a B plus is like not how it works at all. And for me, like the, maybe a good example of, of this difference is that, um, for me, I perceive, uh, the sort of field of muralism and muralists, um, in Richmond and beyond, uh, like what it takes to be a good muralist seems like doing a lot of work, being hyper-productive all the time, um, really, really pushing yourself and like working in really hard conditions. Like it's cold out, it's snowing out, it's raining out. I push through it. I get it done fast. I um, work with really big clients. I do these very, very giant walls, like mm -hmm. this, this very strenuous stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started by kind of like aiming for those things too and trying to organize the shape of my job around making those goals achievable like how can I do just like a shit ton of work how can I get really really big walls how can I work with really large clients or like brands or whatever mm -hmm. um and more and more I've realized that like those things don't matter to me at all <laughs> like, yeah and they don't matter to my clients either like yeah. my clients are not looking at my portfolio and thinking like how fast can she work how fast how many murals did she paint in the last month like mm -hmm. how many new projects has she turned out recently mm -hmm. like nobody has ever looked at my instagram or my website and been like oh i noticed that you only posted one thing in the last two months like the yeah. you must not be actually working anymore like yeah. nobody does that um, and like the big walls, like there's a, like, I don't know, there's some respect about like, you did this huge project that's amazing. Uh, and if, if I wanted to get large scale walls specifically, try, you know, getting some under my belt and then seeking out that kind of work, like that might be a pathway, yeah. but nobody's like, wow, you've never done a 20 story building. You're not a real muralist. Like, I'm not going to hire you. <laughs> Yeah. So, and again, especially not clients. So the more that I have figured out, like, success to me means, like, I get eight hours of sleep at night. <laughs> or success to me means that, like, I created a really, really thoughtful image more than, like, a really poppy image that does well on Instagram. Mm -hmm. like or your clients are, are recommending you that is success yes. like yeah that, totally. that means that you're, you're you're in a community and the community knows you that's success to me absolutely yeah uh, yeah figuring out what those things are for you and going for that like you like you you have to become your own boss you have to become your own teacher like <laughs> yeah yeah you have to be your own like mentor as well to be able to 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 tell yourself those kinds of things and to kind of like have that that wisdom in like to, to, to say that to yourself um i know when i started writing i kept telling myself i'm not qualified i'm not qualified i'm not qualified like i'm not the best writer i'm not the best writer there's better writers there's better writers but, but like the fact of the matter is is like i wanted to write and i did and clients were like let me hire you i need help and i was over here having this like existential crisis like i can't do this and they're probably just sitting there with their money like hello <laughs> <laughs> I need help and like I'm willing to pay you so um you touched on a, a big one a really really big one um yeah that's that's just like I think is a comp is a common theme that's yeah that's big what 
sorry, were you gonna say something? <laughs> no, just agreeing. <laughs> yeah, agreeing. That's a, that's that's a that's a big. I mean, I think in business and in art in general, it's when people say to be of service, they mean who is your ideal client and focus on them rather than yeah. the nonsense aside. Um, because I mean, at the end of the day, like you are, we are service providers. So, um, yeah. what would you say on that realm? What would you say is one of your six, like big successes, like to you or just in general, what would you label like a big success in your career? Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh my gosh. I, I guess I think about it in terms of projects, like which project feels like it was very successful. Um, and it's, and it's funny because one of the first ones that comes to mind in some ways it's always mixed, I guess. Like in some ways, this project that I'll describe um, was a nightmare. <laughs> but in other ways, like I consider it one of my best projects to date. So it's, it's always this mixed bag of like finding the success in the project and also identifying like what you need to work on and change. So um, this, this project is a Virago distillery that you have been to I think you've gotten to visit it's the tasting yeah. room I didn't get to see the product but yeah go ahead oh really oh man because you came in towards the end when we were doing that clear coat <laughs> yeah yeah so oh, oh we must go back <laughs> um, <We will. laughs> so it's the it's the tasting room in a distillery and um it's a 360 degree mural it wraps around the entire room um and this business wanted me to sort of um embody their brand character um and i'll explain it a little bit but it's really in-depth and complicated because uh the word virago means historically uh a female person or character who um embodies male traits like and it has gone through like really positive connotations and really negative connotations and they wanted it to they obviously wanted to take the more positive bent um, but they wanted to really show that it meant like somebody pushing past, surpassing gender boundaries, kind of, okay. yeah. and, um, you know, exceeding, uh, expectations. So I did this huge deep dive into, um, not only the process of distilling rum, which was their, uh, flagship product, um, and the ingredients involved and the process and the sort of shipping routes, like the history of rum trade and yeah. um, taking the opportunity to like really learn about this weird history that I would never care about otherwise. Yeah. Um, but also researching all these historical figures that I thought were good examples of this kind of character and archetype. So I made this huge list of all these people um, and sorted them into these three different archetypes of um, uh, what I considered to match this concept of Virago, um, and then figuring out how to represent those three archetypes. So this whole mural is like so, so expressive of everything about the whole concept for their business. Um, and I think provides a lot of entryways to learn about all these different histories um, outside of the context of, you know, buying a drink in a tasting room. Yeah. Um, so I, that was, that just felt like what I really want to get out of an image making process. Yeah. At the same time, <laughs> this job took like six times longer than I expected it to. 
and ended up being like this very awkward conversation at the end with the client where I was like, okay, you guys know that I've been here for weeks and weeks after I said I would. Um, I've been working with you the whole time. You're fine with that. But like, I have to charge you so much more (laughs) than I initially told you. Like, what are we going to do about that? That's so awkward. Like, um, this is, this is both of our responsibility to sort of handle. Um, the way we sorted it out was that I, I figured out how much more I probably should charge. And then we split that in half. So, you know, both of us, both of us contributed to that being like, um, taking a a lot longer than it needed to be, but also both of us wanted it to be as much as it could be. Yeah. And I mean, when people have these high expectations, like these high extravagant, unique expectations, um, I can see how that would happen. And I, I think that's like, I mean, good on you for uh, ha- having that conversation. I feel like m- one of the things I do is like chronically undercharge myself. So I like to think, I mean, not I'd like to, but I think that I would just be like, oh, that was awkward anyway. And then I would like complain about how I didn't get paid enough for it the whole time. Um, that's like something that I've been guilty of as a business owner. It's just like, oh darn, I didn't get paid enough. And then I didn't realize so recently that I was like consistently choosing to not be paid enough. So Anyway, it's yeah, taking the taking the plunge of having that conversation is really tricky because like estimating a custom job at the beginning of the job is a, is a skill unto itself that you have to know a lot about your own working process and a lot about the client and like you you can't just materialize that out of thin air. So what you also need is the remediation strategy for the back end where you're like, oh man, this did not turn out the way either of us thought. Like we need to have a conversation. What do we do? Um, and just acknowledging that like having the conversation is better than not talking about it at all. Yeah. And if you walk out having a bad experience, like know that you're at least going to get paid what you already agreed on, you know, having a contract that guarantees you'll get paid at least what you talked about initially. Um, and worst case scenario, you get that, but, uh, I'm, I'm fortunate that I, I can't, I can't say that I've had any just blow out complete collapse like everybody walks away and the job doesn't get finished and I don't get paid like it's it's always resolved but that has a lot to do with the communicating with the client the entire time and like even though it feels like you know I wish that I was um as far finished with the project as I expected to be telling somebody I'm I'm behind and I'm gonna need more time uh, you know when I realize it has always has always worked out better <laughs> yeah yeah I've, I've fallen into the trap of not knowing my worth and my talent so I'm like I'm just gonna be a quick writer I'm gonna be fast right. <laughs> if, if you're not if you're not fast because you're thinking you're doing research you're you're trying to juggle this concept in your head that they want <laughs> and then um that not taking a short amount of time and to still know your worth despite of it uh Like I had a therapist once who was like chronically late. She was always late all the time. Like every, like, cause I always saw her at 9am and she was always late. She would come in like 10, 15 minutes late and she would still charge me for the full hour. And after a certain point, I was like, you know what? That's kind of inspiring. So (laughs) like after a certain point, I I choose to be inspired by that instead of annoyed. Um, That seems like a a good choice. (laughs) Right. But I mean, at the same time, you know, deliver what you say you're going to deliver, be a good yeah. service provider. But at the same time, I was like, you know, 
she gave me this the 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 therapy what difference would that 10 minutes have made for her to say like anyway but then we ultimately moved it so that she wasn't late anymore um so my final two second to last question is um what is a ritual or mantra or just habit routine that you have that gets you in the right headspace to do the work that you do yeah yeah um so we've talked about this a little bit before um mm -hmm. in uh, a hypnosis setup session yeah. and just like in various discussions but like i keep returning to this um very short phrase of run to not from run to not from and like I am still in this place of trying to figure out what my goal is generally. Um, we didn't touch on this much this time, but like I hop from giant project to giant project and I don't feel like what I know what my overarching project is right now, mm -hmm. but it is always more motivating to me when I am moving towards something instead of making my decisions based on what I want to get away from. Yeah. Um, whether it's, whether it's a design decision or, you know, where I want my business to go or anything across the board. Uh, yeah. That just is always relevant and is always helpful to me. That sounds like, again, going back to your theme of embrace your space and creating the job that you want to create because mm -hmm. instead of, because I mean, if, you, if you're consistently thinking like, oh, this would be so much better if I had an office job, so much better if I had an office job, you would subconsciously stop attracting clients you'd stop working with people you'd stop being excited about your work and you would be in an office right now and if you were in an office i don't think i would be where i'd be just full disclosure i don't think that i'd be here if you were if you were an office if I was person, in an office you wouldn't be there no i wouldn't be here i would not be doing what i'm doing right now if you were an office in an office um well, then I'm glad for both of us that I didn't do that. That's yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. And what I've learned from your work stories is like, oh, she just consistently has these standards and they're met. <laughs> I mean, like standards that like I did not have and I was constantly moving like my standards all the time. And uh, I, I kept having these like moving targets and I never was happy because my standard was never met. And I, I, I felt like from my perspective that like, you just have this, like, this is what I expect out of life. And I'm only going to allow I think, it back. I think, I think what, um, like, I think that goes back a little bit to uh, something I mentioned before about, you know, taking, taking, when you have to take the jobs that you don't necessarily want, you have to find like the thing that is interesting to you in that job. Um, like, and having that standard uh, uh, is a matter of like assessing what about a certain activity or pursuit or job or any of it, like what in that opportunity um, is worth it to you? Like what value piece there makes every other factor like worth doing or worth, you know, working through or worth putting up with? Um, and in, in a single job, for example, like it might just be, uh, man, I really want to work with this specific client. They mm -hmm. have me washing the floor, but I get to, you know, be in this interesting space where they are and learn from them. Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, maybe it is the money thing. Like this job pays $10,000 and it is, you know, something that I find really boring to even think about and the people are annoying, but like, 
that will get me through and that's what I'm working towards and that's what I'm here for Mm -hmm. and knowing that means that like you can you can assess whether like yeah whether something's worth it for you and if you don't and it's not worth it don't do it and that's maybe like maybe that's kind of relating to the standard that you're talking about like setting that baseline of like there has to be something here that is worth it for me to do this Mm -hmm. um and that makes everything else that I'm doing uh a matter of effort working towards that thing Mm -hmm. and if that standard if that what's making it worth it is no longer being offered then you can leave like you can disagree Mm -hmm. you can get another exactly exactly Yeah. yeah Yeah. Yeah. And it gives you that like knowledge and ability and like emotional capability to be like, oh, well, if it's not here, then I don't need it. Like it is not worth it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how many people have had like a job. This is definitely common. People have had a job where like it was not what it was advertised as. Uh, Mm, It's it's relevant in freelancers for sure, as well as like real jobs, (laughs) like actual Mm -hmm. W-2 jobs um where this pay is advertised this amount of freedom is advertised and then you get down to it and they are like oh just kidding and to me in those instances people have asked me why do i quit jobs or move jobs so much that is why (laughs) that is why and because things are not advertised as they were said that they were going to be and then so i thought oh well if this isn't what i'm getting out of it that i'm gonna leave because i have to do (laughs) and um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah yeah and that you know it's funny because framing it that way um like if you're if you're taking on a job here and uh you know not not in the quote-unquote freelance world um if when you've taken a job at uh you know i don't i don't i don't want to blow up like everywhere you've worked but like <laughs> you've taken a job here and then you've quit it a few months later and then you take another job and you quit it a few months later like um, that's seen as like weirdly flighty or something, yeah. but like my yeah. jobs are a few months long <laughs> yeah. like, and that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and, and so I get to see, um, the, the, the scope of the job, assess what it's worth to me, figure out what I'm working towards and then get it and then leave. Or if that thing turns out to be fake or like not actually worth it you know there's some factor I wasn't aware of that's like wow this job pays ten thousand dollars but like I actually have to work like 24 hours a day to do it um like no okay I don't actually want to do that and then I can choose to either like push through for the sense of completion which that might be a worth it quality for me or drop it entirely and it's not nearly nearly the same amount of like social pressure to like keep the job quote unquote yeah um so i think that's i think that's a really interesting point yeah yeah it all and again like have being a entrepreneur is all about freedom like do you like sometimes i'll take a job and i'll be like yeah i got time let's do it and then other times i'm like oh no that's not you were no um okay so my last question for you is what does gut instinct first reaction what does be your own muse mean to you yeah i love this question um good good be your own muse to me has everything to do with paying attention to what you pay attention to um like noticing what you notice <laughs> uh that like, alien lady on the podcast said that i don't know if that's where you got it from <laughs> <laughs> everybody this is like not a new idea at all i, I know I but that- <laughs> There was the, the alien, the lady who who in that podcast from Sedona. 
Oh yeah. yeah. She was, she, she said like her life advice for people was like, yes. notice what you notice. Yes, like, yes, yes. yes. As yeah. I was saying it, I was like, I know somebody said that. I think that one of my professors in school also framed it that way too, mm -hmm. of like, yeah, notice what you notice. Figure out like what it is you actually care about and enjoy or like what catches your attention or all those things and like, like literally write them down. Because <laughs> like, yeah. I, I had a list for a little while on my like bulletin board of like, here are the things you care about. <laughs> Like, yeah, you're bound. You don't remember. <laughs> yeah, no, it's easy to forget. Like, and and not even. It could be different for anybody, but for me, it wasn't even like wellness stuff. It wasn't even like you don't feed yourself. Please feed yourself. It was like, um, here are the subjects that actually interest you, because so much of my time was spent trying to listen to and assess things that clients are interested in. Mm. That whenever I had an inch to work with on my own. They're like, well, what do you want to do? I was like, oh, fuck. Like, I, <laughs> yeah. um, I didn't know what to even Google. Like, <laughs> um, I yeah. didn't know. So I made a list of like, you really like landscapes, actually. It's basic, but you do. You really like um, tiny homes and construction. Uh, you really like uh, dance and poetry. Like, you think those are interesting. Maybe research those a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I know in a more depressing angle, when I worked at a nine to five job that and food service industry, that's like it sucked my soul. Like it, mm -hmm. it, it, it I, I actually had to remember what I liked. Um, I remember yes, yeah. one specific example of this is uh, one time I was working at a job that I didn't want to admit was, was killing me inside. And one time I get a text from somebody saying, Hey, I have spare tickets to the Jersey boys at the Altria theater. Do you want to go? And I was like, yeah, why not? But by the way, it's in 45 minutes. And Evan and I are like, do we, do we want to, do we want to make the dash? Like, do we want to uh -huh. stay in our pajamas? And we're like, yeah, let's go. And then we go see the Jersey boys. I have no like particular passion or interest in the Jersey boys, but I do love live theater. I love free things excuse to dress up. We moved on. We go sit there and by the end of the performance, I am like actually crying because I had realized that I was subconsciously not looking at art and beautiful things and performance because I knew it was going to remind me who I was and what I liked because I was actively trying to avoid it to just get through the day. And so that's why now I'm so passionate about like art, like, yes, create things, please. Because there was a time that I was consciously like, that's too beautiful. I don't want to look at it because it's going to no. make Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I completely, and like, I, I, my version of this is that like, I have, um, I feel this problem pretty frequently where I'm given a little bit of space, like, Emily, what do you want to do? What do you want to paint? And I freeze up and I'm like, oh, I don't know. Who am I? <laughs> who am I? Like, what do I care about? Because it feels like uh, that pressure of the blank page where it's like, well, it has to be really good. You know, like if it's, if I have the control over it, then it has to be really good or really interesting. Um, and so I just kind of shut down and freak out. Um, and I have this book that I have been um, like, I guess this, the short term, the short phrase of it would be like, I feel very uninspired. Um, but like, I have this book called uh, something about public art. Um, I'm just gonna get up. And get yeah, it. <laughs> go get it. Go get that book. 
It's called Dialogues in Public Art. Okay. And I have been reading this book for years, like once. I have not reread it yet at all. <laughs> I've yeah. been like tiptoeing my way through it because anytime I read any of it, I am so, it's like, it's like grabbing onto an electric wire. Like I am so charged up and motivated and like, um, it's so intense that like, I feel like I just need to drop everything that I'm doing and, and like react to that. But that's a whole lot to hang on to. Yeah. Um, and I'm afraid to pick it up even because I'm like, I know how this is going to be like drinking from a fire hose. So I can't handle that right now. Like, I'm just trying to get through the day. Like, yeah. don't let me do this right now. Um, but then it comes around again that I have a little opportunity and I'm like, oh, now I don't know what to do because I haven't really been like moderating like this intake of, of you know, this thing that motivates me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, figuring out how to engage like productively with the things you like isn't as intuitive as it might seem. Yeah. Yeah, that's like my exploration of the of the concept of the muse and like what is the muse and how to collaborate with it. But essentially the muse is a force that like wants you to get up and go do something like now. Um, <laughs> and yeah, the yeah. collaboration of different parts of yourself. And I talk about it a lot in my work, but it, that is for fun fact for the for anybody who ever feels like someone just randomly started being mean to you when you're pursuing a project, it's because you're making them feel things that they're not ready to feel yet. Like their muse is like kind of scratching them and being like, hello, hey. And they're like, no, 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 I cannot. And then the good news is that it'll come back. And when you're ready and you feel like the runway is set, like then you can, you can take off. But um, very, 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 very relatable. <laughs> very, very real. Um, that is all that I have for you. I feel like that was, yeah. that was, that was sufficient and more, but very, <laughs> very abundant awesome. resource of wisdom and experience. So thank you so much, Emily. Thank um, you. This was such a fun conversation. I always have uh, like so much fun talking with you about it. <laughs> anytime, anytime on the podcast or, or, or secret. <laughs> okay. <laughs>